Welcome to 2016 with Stalo and I on the Global Angler. We hope you spent the silly season with a rod in your hand because we certainly did. Now, it doesn't matter where you are around the world and what bit of ocean, river, lake, stream, dam or waterhole you guys fish, there's always that one species that fires during this time of the year. And for some of us here in Australia, our piscatorial pleasure is whiting. We have 13 different species here in Oz. And in this episode, Starlo and I take you out on a misty summer morning to chase sand whiting off the beach. And the best part is, and I reckon the most charming part of beach fishing is catching the worm to catch the fish. He's quick. Quick, you could have had a cup of tea while you were waiting for that to happen. Uh, he won't come back with that. He won't come back? No. Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely positive. Whammy, I'm so disappointed. It's pretty hard, isn't it? Also, more highlights from Starlo's amazing fishing trip to Sumba in Indonesia. Basically, we just wanted to have a really, really good time. We wanted to enjoy it. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do our utmost to put you on the, on the fish. And we'll bring you the second part of our interview with the Australian pro bass angler, Carl Jockamson, who made history for us when he qualified for the Bassmaster Elites in the States. They just think you're like a superstar from bass fishing and you've got to... <laughs> that's what I, like, never want to, like, let go, how much I appreciate that. Now, the interesting twist to this story is that Carl was fishing one of our favourite local waterways just a couple of weeks ago when he came home to visit family for Christmas. And on those waters, we find another Aussie angler with massive potential. Couldn't have imagined you know, my wildest dreams going up in my first AVT grand final and taking the win. Liam Carruthers is his name, emu to his mates. He'll get you thinking about getting in the game of competition fishing. And he's also here for episode four. The Global Angler. What have you got in that stink bag, Salah? The frames of fish that I've been catching in the last few days, some of the whiting heads and frames from the last couple of days, anything smelly. And a lot of wormers seem to think the smellier it gets, the better. They'll actually bury it on the back of the beach and come down and uh, dig it up to go worming the next day. Or just take it home and uh, put it in the garage, which makes you really popular at home. OK, now we're collecting pippies. We've gone on to the next challenge this morning before we start fishing in Stalo's already identified a pippy bed and he's out there cleaning up. He's doing the... Uh, <laughs> this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he looks like a big duck doing the Starlow shuffle. The pippy shuffle, aerobic Starlow style. The two most important pieces of equipment we've got here are not the rods and reels. They're those two bits of PVC pipe that I carry with me and just stick into the sand. You see so many people on the beach and they drop their rod and reel in the sand. They lie it down while they're rigging up. Sand gets in your reel and uh, it doesn't work real well. So just carry those two little offcuts of PVC, push them into the sand, stand your rod in them. Every time you come back up here to, to rebait or whatever, just drop your rod in the PVC pipe and your reel will be up out of the sand. You can rig up, you can do whatever you like. It's great. Now, we're hoping to target whiting today. Tell me a little bit about that particular fish. 
Okay, they're um, they're in the surf here at the moment, foraging for things like these worms and the pippies that we were catching, and any little crustaceans that happen to be around, little shrimps and uh, prawns and so forth. So they'll be they'll be in fairly close. We don't want to cast too far. A lot of people try and punch a hole in the horizon, but they'll probably be just on the back of where the the waves are breaking. There, we've got a rising tide at the moment. They feed on the bottom. They're quite active uh, little feeders. They don't mind the bait moving a little bit, so don't be afraid to let it wash around or even pull it in slowly. You'll get a series of fairly fast uh, rat attacks bites just let them have a couple of bites and then when they pull down hard on it lift the rod and uh bob's your uncle let's go well i've just run up the beach style i didn't think we'd have enough time to catch a whiting with uh, the amount of time we were given but i've managed to bag a whiting aren't they a beautiful fish gorgeous yellowfin or sand whiting now he's got to be 27 centimeters to the tips of the tail and here's 28 centimetres. Oh. You're allowed 20 like that per person per day. I never keep that many. I reckon about 10 is a good feed for most families. We've got one, two, three, four, five, about five. You've got the one there and I've caught the four. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did get the first and the largest, but um, we've had a great morning down here. Only a couple of hours down at Seven Mile Beach and I've been introduced to targeting whiting. I think you're starting to get to know me as an angler and I get a little bit impatient if I'm not getting results. And this morning uh, I was getting a bit testy but the the second one came along but I think I had to learn how to feel the movements of the tide and all the things that are going on underneath the water which you get confused with a fish biting on the hook and sometimes it was wishful thinking and I thought I had one and I think I lost three by being a bit too aggressive what's the lesson there? Yeah look it is hard there's a lot of things going on out there there's uh, there's drift down the beach there's the wave action on your line but when you actually get a proper bite it's fairly unmistakable you can really feel it and then when you hook them I think one of the problems you were you were making once you got one on you just wanted to get it in on the beach but you've got all that wave action on the fish it's dragging on the fish while the fish is fighting you've just got to use the waves wash the fish up the beach take your time time is definitely on your side so don't be in too much of a hurry and just wash the fish up and walk up and and you've got it look yeah you're a a reasonably active kind of angler i'm working that out you're a great lure fisherman because you you can chuck it out all the time bring it in chuck it out bring it in which i noticed was exactly what you were doing with the poor old beachworm i think he did uh, uh, more laps in there than kieran perkins this morning that beachworm he was in and out that often he should have a passport but anyway we caught a couple and uh, you've caught my lunch bonnie thanks for that As I've explained before, many unrelated fish scattered around the globe share the same common names. So it is that nearly every English-speaking nation has its own cod, trout, salmon, pike, bass and perch, even though they may be completely different to each other. And so it is with the term whiting. In Great Britain, the fish known as a whiting or merling is a small member of the Atlantic cod family, much prized as a table fish. I guess that's one reason why early European settlers applied the name whiting to a family of small, slender saltwater fish that they encountered in Australian waters. Like their northern namesakes, the Australian whiting are a firm favourite with seafood fanciers. There are three or four fairly common species of whiting in Australia and several of them also occur in parts of Asia, ranging as far north as Japan. Everywhere they're found, these fish are keenly sought after. The two most popular whiting in Australia are the silvery fish known as the summer, sand or yellowfin whiting and its larger cousin, the King George or spotted whiting, which is the giant of the clan, very occasionally topping the two kilo or four pound mark. Whiting are a favourite of mine, and you can be sure that I'll be discussing them at greater length in future instalments of The Global Angler. Until then, tight lines.
Throughout my own career, I've seen so many anglers watch from the sidelines, wondering if they might have the ability or the nerve to compete against accomplished trophy-winning anglers. Even from my own experiences, it was often far easier for me to put obstacles in my way, mainly my pride or fear of failure. But when I finally got involved, I loved the experience. In my opinion, competition is a great training ground for all anglers, and competition fishing is certainly taking off globally. It's clear that social media has a lot to do with this. Everyday anglers are putting themselves out there, taking that leap of faith, and typically showing the world how they're doing it through social media. That's exactly what our own young superstar, Carl Jockamson, is doing. But there's also another bloke who snag a track down who embodies this very same journey from avid angler to major competition winner. Snagger spoke with 27-year-old Liam Carruthers from the south coast of New South Wales who surprised himself and lots of other people by taking out a major fishing competition here in Australia. He's now the 2015 ABT Brim Grand Final winner and we're sure you'll agree that his story is an inspirational one. I was really looking forward to the pre-fish. Obviously, I hadn't been to the system before. With me, it's a big thing you just got to get on the waterway and you got to you got to feel the conditions i heard rumors that the uh the tide was a big factor up there it used to run really hard so uh pre-fish day once i got on the water and once i felt the tide and found a few spots that i could fish it, the confidence built i know for a fact actually the couple of days after the win you appeared to be a bit shell-shocked what was it like waking up in the morning and remembering that you'd you'd won the championship I still can't see you talking now. I can't stop smiling. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's just a good story. Like, um, it definitely uh, unbelievable. I couldn't have imagined in my wildest dreams going up in my first ABT Grand Final and taking the win. It's something I definitely would have liked to chip at for the next 15, 20 years. Definitely a goal I wanted to achieve, but to do it in my first time and in the fashion I did it. During your interview, actually, on YouTube, you gave a lot of detail away. Depth, change and structure is when you're most comfortable. When it comes down to tactics, people are all ears when it comes to competing, but you didn't really hold back. Oh, I've only been doing this for about four years now and um, just general lure fishing. And I, I learnt from all the guys... In their interviews, I try and absorb as much information as I can. Because I hadn't been to the Clarence, I got on YouTube and I looked at all the post results and a few of the AFC episodes and I really listened to what they were doing and their techniques. And for me, I learn a lot from that. So if I could give a little or as much back as I could, hopefully someone can look at my interview, go up to the Clarence, not having fished there before and do well. What was the reaction from fellow anglers? It was definitely the unknown quantity in the top 10 going into the final day. Simon Goldsmith, the MC for the event, he was given a bio on the top 10 prior to us weighing in. And you had people amongst the likes of Chris Hickson and um, Tristan Taylor, like dual AFC winners, ABT champions, anglers of the year, and then they come to me and they're a bit gobsmacked. They're like, oh, Liam Carruthers, the unknown quantity in the top 10, and then they moved on. Everyone was more confused and elated at the time and then a few of the local anglers Mark Crompton and Steve Gill we, we all sort of stick together pretty tight down here and they were just they were amped and they were just riding it with me and then I ended up winning about 60 grand and that's when there was probably about four people out of the 50 60 in the crowd that cheered and then there was a delay and then everyone else cheered and then there was a lot of scratching their heads everyone was scratching their heads just going what just happens it was funny how you said you wouldn't have minded chipping away at a success like this so early on in your career. Is that because you feel an element of pressure 
for the next time around when you're competing that you might have to come up to the standard that you've set yourself up so early? Oh, you definitely don't want to uh, choke but um, being the champion, the grand final champion, it's a pretty good role. Just mentally now I can be a lot more calmer in each tournament as such. Not a lot of pressure on myself to know that I've actually achieved it already and I think that'll help. This is echoing a lot of what Carl Jockamson had to say to me in my first interview with him, our first part on the Global Angler. And um, I'm hearing a lot of the same things. When he first arrived in the States, he just knocked them for six. They just really couldn't understand how he nailed that elite level so early with Bass. So you could be the next one in the making. I mean, your story could be very similar to his. Oh, no, I, I think Carl is a phenomenal angler and even suggested I'm at potentially approaching his level. I, it makes me smile, but I wouldn't agree with it. Carl was a, an absolute pinnacle of his sport in Australia for 10 years. Obviously, all eyes of our nation are on him and just been addicted to watching his progress. And you regard yourself as a sportsman, don't you? It is a sport. Recreational angling should, at this level should be regarded as a sport. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah definitely. I see every professional angler and athlete, obviously. It is not where it needs to be at the moment, but people like Carl Jockamson are pushing it in the right direction. If we can get it recognised as a sport, as the anglers, as athletes, I think there'll be a lot more opportunities to come, just like golf. Golf itself used to not be regarded as a highly physical and contested sport but now the golfers go through an absolute mental and physical regime in their pre-season and essentially they uh, they perform to the best of their ability. Tell me a little bit about your occupation. You're in the Royal Australian Navy so your commitment is of course with your profession. Where is fishing going to fit into this? Well at the moment for the next 12 months it's not really going to fit in at all. I'm in the Royal Australian Navy. I'm a Royal Australian Naval Air Crewman which uh, involves me uh, flying in the uh, Navy's newest helicopters. I'm a sensor operator along with the winchman so um, I've got the opportunity next year to do what I've spent 10 years training to do. I'm going to deploy with the Navy. I'm going to um, see out 2016, do what I have worked so hard to get to in my career-wise, go hopefully fall into an instructional position and with the instructional position comes stability and not as much deployment with the Navy. Residing back here at our uh, Nara, New South Wales, and hopefully doing a bit more fishing in 2017, 2018. With a few more sponsors? That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) At the moment, yeah, we'll see how we go. I'll definitely be putting a few feelers out for 2017. One thing I really want to ask you finally is that you said to your dad, one day you'll see me on one of these fishing DVDs (laughs) or, you know, competing at the level that you've just achieved. What was his reaction when you won? He was proud as punch. He was the first person I rang. Actually, he texted me. He's pretty new to the whole social media aspect. When the weigh-ins were happening, he couldn't log into the live stream. It wouldn't work on the computer. So he was watching Facebook and he sent me a text message uh, saying that... um, Facebook saying you've won is is this right is this true and then I <laughs> rang him and yeah we, we shared the moment it, it was pretty cool to share with him so yeah he has proud. he taught you a lot in terms of fishing or is he now learning from you <laughs> he, he taught me everything I know about fishing and then we started getting into the lure game we started just sharing ideas not really me teaching him or him teaching me just learning together and um he's just been here for the last 10 days on this fishing trip with me and he's uh, absolutely teaching me everything at the moment. I'm <laughs> coughing a bit of flack on social media from all my mates. I'm not performing at all on this fishing trip. He's definitely taken the bounty on this one, so it's good. Um, just a final word about what's been going on on the fishing scene down here on the south coast. You've nailed some very large crocodiles, among other species. Tell us about the last you know, couple of weeks. Yeah, so in the last few weeks, um, 
as soon as I uh, got back from the Clarence River, I really just wanted to relax and go fishing. So I went out with a good mate and local well-renowned angler, Wild Bowzan. Uh, we went out in the boat and we just wanted to go out and just talk a bit of smack and fish for some flathead or dewies or what was sort of biting at the time. Uh, while we had a bit of a gut feeling that the dewies might have been on, so we threw some bigger plastics and caught two dewies in one session, which is pretty rare to just to get one in the basin. We got two well over a metre, which was awesome. And um, we went out two days later again in Wall's boat and he got another dewey, which was amazing. The bycatch from the dewies, we were catching huge bags of brim. Like, we were catching brim on 100ml plastics, which I just I haven't done that before, which no was way. just crazy. And then um, since Dad's been here... I've sort of put the brim gear away and trying to get him a new PB on his big flathead. So we've been throwing the bigger gear. Unfortunately, the, the bigger sort of flathead have been jumping on my line. I'm trying to get him the uh, big fish. But in between our flicks, he's been pretty sneaky and throwing the brim gear out and showing me how to catch brim all over again. So we've got one day left tomorrow, so hopefully we can get his biggest PB flathead. It should be good. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Liam. Um, just Emu, where did Emu come from? Uh, Emu's obviously been in the Navy. It's just we. Uh, get nicknames whether we like them or not and one bloke one day saw me run and <laughs> decided to call me emu and it stuck <laughs> so emu it is <laughs> so you run like a large flightless bird <laughs> yeah someone the global angler we were born to fish for me fishing new territory has always played a big role in keeping me motivated and the blue seas off sumba in eastern indonesia provided just such a motivational experience here's some more highlights from my latest visit to those fish-filled waters driving through the streets of tambaloka on the northern side of sumba at the moment fair bit of traffic and uh, local life Lots of people on motorbikes and pushbikes and walking, kids coming home from school. This is the more populated side of the island. We've got a couple of hours to go to get over to the other side. It's fantastic. We're travelling in an open-topped vehicle. It looks like the, uh, the transporter out of Jurassic Park. So we're all exposed to the air and the smells and the sights and the sounds of, of Sumba. Well, we've certainly left the town behind us now. We're climbing up into the, uh, the ranges. We're in farmland and uh, forest. It's pretty rugged, lots of little villages. Still a lot of traffic on the road, and it's <laughs> pretty crazy traffic. There's water buffalo and Sumbanese ponies on the t- side of the road, and the odd ca- cow. Uh, you never know what's going to wander out in front of you next, but everyone seems to have a fairly fatalistic attitude towards the, um, the traffic flow. You just assume there's going to be a gap there, and sure enough, there is. If not, honk your horn, and people will move. The, the villages are very traditional now. Thatched roofs on the on the huts. A lot of people have got little roadside stalls, and they're selling everything from fruit and veg to chickens to bottles of fuel for your motor scooter. Fantastic. The sights and smells, and the sounds... Eventually we arrived safely at Niawatu Resort on the southern coast of the island and caught up with our old mate Chris Bromwich. Chris runs all the fishing activities at the resort. We'd brought three other fishing-mad couples with us from Australia and the anticipation level was running really high in our little group. Well, after a lot of travelling from Australia, we're finally here near Watu Resort on the southern coastline of Sumba Island. 
in Indonesia. It's got to be one of my favourite places on earth. I was lucky enough to come here a year or so ago. I'm sure you can hear the surf breaking on the reef in the background. I'm just watching the sun set over the northern Indian Ocean. I'm about to join the rest of the crew and talk about our fishing options for tomorrow. Enjoying this cold beverage though, I've got to tell you. <laughs> what a great place. So yeah, I mean, we basically just wanted to have a really, really good time. We wanted to enjoy it. We'll, we'll do, we'll do our utmost to put you on the, on the fish. We got some cracking spots. The, the forecast tomorrow is about three to five foot on swell, um, calm seas, light wind, 30 to 35 degrees. It's very hot in the middle of the day. I'd really recommend hydrating as much as possible. Um, it, it, it is very hot here, and it can be very exhausting. Um, but we're gonna have a great time. The fishing's, the fishing's hot. The location's good. Everything's, you know, falling into place for a really good trip. So okay, I'm looking forward to entertaining you and uh, on you, Chris. delivering it for you. On you Sounds good to me. Yeah. Me too. Cheers. <laughs> well, this is it. We're in the little inflatable Zodiac heading out to the big boat, which sits anchored about three or 400 metres out off the beach behind the surf break. Pretty lucky this morning because there's not much in the way of swell. But it's still uh, an interesting exercise, climbing into the little rubber ducky in the surf break and then punching it out <laughs> through the waves. But we're good, got a little bit wet, the gear's all good. And uh, there's the big boat riding safely at anchor out behind this world famous surfing break. They call it God's Left, such a famous surf break, but uh, it's only a small one this morning, fortunately. What a cracking day, probably already uh, 25, 26 degrees, not a breath of wind, not a cloud in the sky. The full moon just set after a glorious night and uh, I'm pumped. We're gonna catch fish today, I can just feel it. The run to our first spot, which they call Magic Mountain, was only about 10 minutes, not far from the resort at all. And we've already got four lines in the water. We're trolling a mixture of uh, deep diving Rapala lures and uh, rigged garfish baits. There's already a lot of bait fish showing on the sounder. Looking pretty good. And sure enough, we didn't have long to wait for the action. Within a few minutes of commencing our first trolling run, the rods began to load up. Try and get that other hand up in front of the reel. That one, yeah. That's it was absolute mayhem. Pretty soon the first fish were hitting the deck. Got him now. One hand underneath, just keep away from the teeth. That's you got it. Oh, oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> That's a photo and a half. <laughs> Beautiful 
That first wahoo marked the beginning of a red-hot session with strikes coming thick and fast. Our happy campers were split between fighting fish and posing for happy snaps with their catches. Nadia's first wahoo was an especially exciting moment. Nadia, what just happened? I have no idea. <laughs> I thought I lost it too. I'm like, oh, hold on, they've got the gaff. Thank God for that. You're a bit excited. I couldn't breathe. All right. All right, hold that. There and there. Oh, hold on. Hold it back. Yeah. Hold it. Just be careful with the teeth, okay? Look at that, rolling forward a little bit, but rolling back forward. Yeah, nah. Uh, well, back forward yeah, this way. Yeah, that's it. You go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what do you reckon about that, Nadia? Unbelievable! <laughs> Best day ever. <laughs> wow. You know why they call them wahoo? Oh my goodness. <laughs> they get everyone on the boat excited, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, you know what the wahoo sounds like, Oh, wahoo action. How good is that? Multiple hookups. Lost fish, <laughs> got fish. <laughs> it's, it's happening off Sumba today. Oh man, look at that. They fight harder. Oh my goodness. Oh my god, that's worse than a kidney. Oh yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. That's just with more big fish on board than most of our crew had ever seen in their lives before, it was time for a celebratory ale on the run back to the resort. What a day it had been. We got Nick? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on. Just say, hey, you're going to open it. Just Thank you, Joe. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah, Cheers. Yeah, we'll get a bintang. Bintang's all round. Bintang's in Zumba. Bintang, the beer of choice in Indonesia. Well done. I'm really proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who helped. I appreciate it. It's made my, like, year. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thanks all the 
Well, that's it. The end of day one here at Sumba in Indonesia. We landed half a dozen beautiful wahoo. Lost as many again. The sun is sinking slowly into the Indian Ocean. It is absolutely beautiful. What a great shakedown. Uh, I reckon we've got a big week ahead of us. You can find out in the next instalment of the Global Angler what happened next in these fish-rich waters of Sumba. I'll catch you then. Stay with us for the second part of our interview with Aussie pro bass legend Carl Jockamson. As someone like me who loves to fish and I've watched you skyrocket and achieve that kind of unimaginable level of fishing, it's hard because we want a piece of that. We want a piece of you and that kind of excitement, but we're so far away from that here in Australia. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, we just don't have the population and uh, there's so many lakes and... uh, um, and, and bass are just everywhere. Like, we, you know, are, are split up by so many species because everyone, like, everyone loves to fish in Australia, but, like, there's so many different species that people kind of love to fish where, for where largemouth bass are absolutely everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. If there's water, there's largemouth bass in it. TV and, the, you know, like, we, we with AFC and stuff like that, started getting pretty close. Um, you know, it started getting good, but... It's just the money and everything that's involved and just how big this industry is here and then just how many people. Like, I think they had, um, you know, 180,000 people come through um, the weigh-ins, you know, just just for the Elite Series alone. So it's, like, just mecca amounts of people. That, that's um, extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't believe oh. they just... They just... You look... Like, when you... After you weigh I can't believe it. It's the first year I've really seen it. And after I weigh in at the Elite Series and, you know, kids and stuff... Like they're not looking at like football or any other sport. They just think you're like a superstar from bass fishing, and you gotta. That's what I like. Never want to like let go. How much I appreciate that. Like you just, oh. I couldn't. Does that debate. does that mean you're not ever coming home? <laughs> it um yeah I don't know. It's um it's gonna be you know I think this is definitely what I want to do. You know the, yeah. the the more I I've had the a little bit of success and um this year's just shown me how much I really want it and want to you know I kind of I saw a thing the other day you know I said I didn't come this far to just come this far you know, I want to be the best and it's going to take you know a long long time and and um to, to be able to achieve that but I'm, um, I'm I'm putting everything I can into it to do it I'm going against these guys that all they think about is how they're going to beat each other. That's all they need to do because they've been here set up and they've got everything ready. So I'm getting to that stage and every single day I learn and learn. That's the main thing. And um, this year was one of the biggest learning curves for me and I've realised like what level um, I've got to be at to be more consistent. But I, I felt like I had a really bad year because I had a lot of really bad finishes. But when I go around like anywhere, like a iCast or the tournaments, no one sees that. Those two top tens were so huge because I got so much exposure with ESPN mm. and everything. All anyone sees is that I had a fantastic year and they just, because I got that great exposure. Thinking about is like whether I can pay the next entry fee or whatever. And it's just how it yeah. is because it's just so, it's so expensive. Um, it with everything but um, I, each year like it grows and gets bigger and I get more support and it's just I, I just got to hang in there you know and I know it's just going to get better and better. Yeah the determination I mean I can I can feel it 
you know, through this microphone, yeah. it's, you're not going to give up, are you? It's a bit like Jared Haynes. I saw an interview with him not long ago. Yeah. And he was really talking about uh, he couldn't help but reveal that he'd been living in a motel room, tough times. Um, he's a very spiritual man, so that's something that took him through. But it was just a really similar story of doing it tough, but yeah. the perseverance of Australians, if, if, you, um, if you hang in there, which is what you're going to do, it's yeah. just going to be brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. It's um, the only time, yeah, pretty much you fail is when you give up and uh, is if you don't give up, you just never know what's around the corner and it's crazy what yeah. what has happened when I just think like the road's ended and there's just nothing more I can do and then I've hung in there that one last time and then bang, something happens and it draw it and it kicks me along again to keep going. So, so with, all this, with all this success and with all the hard work, do you still have those moments where, where you, you haven't lost sight of why you fish and what fishing gives back to you on on a deeper level um it's more like i've actually found it more and more you know and that um that it's it's really like getting to this level you you do start to wonder like what you you know I'm, i'm away from all my friends and all my family i'm missing out on like so much stuff the stuff that you know i used to just take for granted because um you know i just I lived there and, you know, you had everyone by your side all the time and you were doing all the things you loved and, and now, like, I've, I've given up every single thing for, for one, for my kind, my dream, you know, and just, mm. um, but there's, there's, I'm, I'm finding, like, the reasons why and when I see kids and the messages that I get and, um, and, and, what how where fishing has taken me and what it does for me like I just have so much passion for the sport and now I'm seeing like well it's always been there but I just I want to put myself in a position where I can motivate kids and 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 basically promote fishing in the best light to get kids out outside and outdoors yeah. and picking up fishing rods and fishing with their mum and dad um in tournaments or anything like that and I know like the more the more like I do my why and and as well is that the better I get and the further I get in this sport and if I make the Bassmaster Classic it's going to make big things for Australian fishing and get people to come over and watch me like hopefully in the Bassmaster Classic one day and get my family over here to see me and stuff like that so I've got uh, when you when you've got a you know your reason why is strong and you want to do it for other people and to inspire other people, I think good things um, will come from that. Is there a zone that you go to when you're competing? All I've got in my head is like when I, <laughs> I get really competitive when I fish yeah. and I mainly fish with Starlo and so he's like, he, he tells me to be at one with the lure yeah. and it's and it sounds weird but uh, once I do that, I'm in that zone. Do you, do you find your, do you find that place when you're competing? What's it like for you? Yeah, you got, um, it's, it's, that you got two opposite ends um, with it, especially at this level. And like, if you have one little thing that's like you call it a nick in your line, like you, if you have a tiny little nick in your fishing line, it's gonna show, you know. And so everything has to be a hundred, hundred percent perfect. And I think my fishing skills and where I've got to, like I, I learn it all the time. Like I never just think like I know every what everything I know now is gonna get me to where I need to go. It's I learn every single day. I learnt a lot this week. Um but a hundred percent of it every single time now for me and versing these guys is mental. Like the mental attitude of 
what where you're at is how you will um put, you know perform and mm. um the more I've learned about that I've studied it over the last few years and I've read like all the sporting achievement books and got people that have been successful in sports and it and it like every and even in any business venture like everyone has a choice and everyone has um it pretty much all comes down to their mental attitude is where they want it how bad they want it and um I just keep continually see like um back in Australia like I wanted to be angler of the year or I wanted to win the grand final and I thought about that all the time and pictured myself doing that and then that eventually like you stayed positive and you did that that would come or of a and it comes right down to when you're fishing, I picture myself like where I'm going to be and how it's going to go down and often that's how it happens. But wow. on the opposite end, you, when you get down and you're not feeling right and you get – like I had five um, below 100 finishes in a row here and like that just spiraled and, and it, then all of a sudden you're like when a fish falls off, you're like, oh, I knew that was going to happen and then it just like – then it spirals the other way. So, and then it's really hard to get back. But I've found like I've got you got you get that back, and then a few things go your way. But the 100, percent you know, thinking positive and um, you know, mm. picturing yourself where you want to be and and how it's going to go down is is huge. And just that mental attitude is really everything, especially in fishing. Do you think you would have fine tuned that here in Australia? Yeah, I did. Like, you got to, in Australia, like, I think I had to, I fished for 10 years on ABT, and you had to, I was a good fisherman, but I, I didn't know how to win, and that's, like, how, I'm, that's what I, I need to learn how to do here. Like, winning is a habit, and it becomes, uh, you, you have to, you see guys that are really good fishermen, they always top 10 and always, you know, up there, but they never win because it's it's a different type of attitude you have to have like to actually convert into winning and I learned how to win in Australia towards the end of my mm. career and then and then you know pretty much I got everything was wiped when I come over here I had to start from scratch because fishing for it just like it's no comprehension from what I did in Australia to here. It's just on a, you know, million times level. Like I had no idea what really what I was getting myself into. And plus you're probably competing with mines of steel, like the way yeah, you're like, describing your attitude now is what they already had over there. Yeah, I was going against, yeah, guys that just, uh, you know, I was, yeah, I, I just was nowhere near like ready to jump in what I did. But, but at the other end, that's what you have to do. Like I've realised like, Everything happens for a reason, and to be great, you have to put, like you have to put yourself under pressure like all the time. And that without that, you don't grow. And without those down times and those bad ones, it doesn't then like make you go, okay, I've got to push harder than what I am now to to be better. And I kind of jumped in the deep end and sacrificed everything. And that if I didn't do that, you know when it got hard, I would have just packed up and went home because it got mm. so hard. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And then, but then like I'd sacrificed so much, it made me say, no, I'll stay for longer, stay for longer. And then next minute you'd get a small break that'd keep you going. Gosh, we're so proud of you just listening to you talk. It's awesome that we've got you over there. It's fantastic. Now I know that personally things have gone pretty good. You've met a lovely lady. Yeah. So I guess you really aren't coming home, are you? <laughs> I want, like you know my the ultimate for me would be to um to be able to come here and fish the elite series season for you know from sort of February to October and then be able to come home you know at the end of each season and um 
I, I usually I'd come home to see my family and everyone right now, but um, I'm trying to. I have to stay a little bit longer to get my boat sorted and and, and push with sponsorship and stuff for next year. So I'm trying to like work on that more while I'm here because my season's kind of over right now. So the ultimate would be out of you know in the end be able to spend um, the Elite Series season here and then come home and see everyone at the end, at the end of the season and then come back yeah. and go at it again. So, but yeah. To achieve that, what's next for you? So I've got like through the Elite Series, you got you have to finish in the top 40 in Angler of the Year and um and to make it that's in that's so that's like in the points kind of race and to do that you have to have like a phenomenal year like you can't slip up you know like once really and you know i had a sixth and a tenth place which is you know massive because i got really good exposure on espn and bassmaster live and um that was awesome for all my sponsors but i finished 93rd in the points even with those two finishes like that's how you know, but you can just like one slip up or a couple. You know, you have a few bad events and you're down there. So these guys like making the classic is everything for them. And if you, if I made the Bassmaster Classic this year, sponsorship and support and ev- my whole my life would change if I make the classic. Like it'll kind of um, cement my career here mm. by making it. It's that it's that big and it's that big of a deal. But you've got 110 guys that are just so ridiculously good it's the toughest elite series field in history and um you know now because they've had the best of the best flw guys come across and it's just everyone is a big name and they've all every single person has won millions of dollars you know so they're just they're just freaks and and you've got to (laughs) battle against them week in you know and week out so um it's um making that classic i'm gonna have to fish finish in the top 40 in the points next year so i need a lot more i need to work out you know i can i can have one i can have a really good tournament i can i've shown that i can probably win an event i'm getting very close but now i need to find some consistency you can't have those really bad you know bombs you got to make like a a 40th or a 45th a bad tournament Yeah, it's extraordinary to hear your passion and it's just fantastic and thank you so much for this interview. It's just wonderful to hear how well you're doing and just your determination is inspirational, Carl. (laughs) No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. What do you miss about home, just quickly? Oh, I miss a lot of things. I miss my mates and my and my uh, my family. But yeah, I definitely like. I just I miss the like the outback, the the fishing, and just the um, Australia is very laid back and and you kind of stress free. When I go home, it's mm. like you can really take a deep breath. But yeah, my my, my fishing with my mates is definitely something I've uh, really missed. Yeah, I missed meat pies and the open skies. Yeah. And it's funny you yeah. say the outback. That was that's exactly how when I got home from Florida, I just wanted to breathe in some Australian air and look up at the sky, the just uninterrupted view. Yeah. And what about living over there? What's what's something that you really enjoy? I mean, what's your favourite fast food? When I got there, I went through every single drive-through there was. That's, I've had to, you know, yeah. I've, when I first got over here, I just ate everything because the food was so tasted so good, you know, because it's so different, but it's so bad for you. Like, it's yeah. In, and now I'm really big on the fitness, and I run five, six times a week and go to the gym, and that all to do with the Elite Series to help me with the everything, you know, and eating good is a big part of that when I'm fishing um, because I do 16 hours a day, you know, in the summer for practice and you have to, you have four hours of sleep a night and 
you really have to look after your body and what you eat. So I've, I've, it's hard to eat healthy here. Like it's almost impossible to eat healthy here. So we, um, we've kind of, we're working more on cooking. Like we've, this year we've cooked all our, like our own meals, getting our own, like have, making sure we have, like pretty much you have to go grocery shopping at a, at a, mm. a particular store just so you can get fresh food that is, is good. So I kind of miss the, I do miss the fresh fruit and healthy kind of food that Australia has, like on tap, because it's it's hard to find here. You know, it's you can just it's so easy. But and saying that, like Mexican food and in and out is the takeaway stuff is unbelievably good. Like <laughs> and, after a and ribs through a drive-through, ribs through a drive-through. That was one of my favourite things to do. I mean, where can you go in Australia to get ribs that melt in your mouth? Yeah. Through a drive-through. No, you can pretty much drive through <laughs> and get anything here. Like the convenience is just crazy. But there's so many funny things about America that yeah that I, that I love and yeah it's 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 cool because it's it's different. The Global Angler. Subscribe to our fishing adventures with Audio Boom, Stitcher, or iTunes. This has been a Bites.com production.